haven't met before, my name is Trevor Boyd and I'm the minister here in First of Friday Presbyterian Church. As we say when giving directions, we're the church opposite Windsor Tools Furniture Shop or the one with the posters. We have an interest in you and your business and we're running these business lunchtime talks each Thursday. So it's great to have your company as we learn from the leadership of this man called Nehemiah. Let's see how we can put the Bible back into business. So today I'm going to read it from Nehemiah. It's chapter 4 and we'll read from verses 1 to 16. And these verses demonstrate how Nehemiah dealt with those who opposed his project of rebuilding the walls at Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 4. But it so happened when Sinbalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as a plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provided anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdods heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was that when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall, at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armour. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. And we'll finish there at verse 16. When Nehemiah was managing this project of rebuilding the walls, he had to deal with people 
who wanted to cause distractions. When you or I are going about our normal duties and responsibilities, it's very easy to become distracted. You might become distracted by something as simple as the mobile phone, by an employee or by a customer. We can become distracted by someone or something. Some people and some things in life can become fairly persistent distractions. And the leader can go to pieces under this kind of pressure. For Nehemiah, the name that kept cropping up time after time as a distraction was this man, Sanballat. Soon after the wall around Jerusalem started to be rebuilt, word had reached Sanballat. It's important to remember that Sanballat became an external objector or an external distractor. And the time waster to Nehemiah for Sanballat's own selfish reasons. He wanted to protect his power and his wealth and he didn't want Jerusalem to succeed. Sanballat's ridicule really rose out of a sense of insecurity. It came from fear and even from rage within him. The first action of this man, Sanballat, was to try and to halt or at least to slow down the work by ridiculing the workers. And we see that in verses 1 to 3, that Sanballat started to hassle and to cause delay. In verse 2, Sanballat asks four questions, each really in their own right being a poisoned arrow of division. He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Now, the Jews were well aware of their own weaknesses. They were well aware that they were feeble, that they were in a sorry state. A distractor, when they come along to us, doesn't have to exaggerate to be able to wound us. They just have to pick on what is the truth about something that you're already sensitive to. That playground saying that you maybe remember from primary school or secondary school, sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me. Well, that in reality overlooks the fact that words can easily and deeply wound people. Symbolic used the words to have a dig, to cause the people to slow down. Secondly, he asked the question, will, will they fortify themselves? Meaning, will they restore the wall? Do they really understand what they have taken on here? And isn't it natural that when we start to experience doubts about a project that we've taken on. There's nothing we want to hear less than someone else echoing or repeating those same fears to us. The fears that are ready in our head or in our hearts. Maybe you've taken on a project, you've thought it through, uh, and then whenever you launched into it, there were wee niggles, wee things didn't go right, and then somebody came along and said, well, I told you that wasn't going to work. You don't want to hear that, you want to keep pressing on. And the doubts amongst the Jews in Jerusalem, they have already started to surface. And we can see that from verse 10, that the Jews themselves, they, they were saying the strength of the laborers is failing. And there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. The, the people had been working hard, they were committed, but, but they, they, were getting, they were getting worn out 
because they, they were becoming weak. They were losing their strength. Uh, and then there was so much rubbish which made it harder to work through. Sanballat, the distractor, Sanballat, the objector, had timed his words nicely. And they had exactly where it would hurt the Jews most. Thirdly, Sanballat asks, well, will they offer sacrifices? And this was a criticism of the Jews and their belief in their God. The Jews were well aware that on an outward appearance of Jerusalem, on an outward appearance of their faith and how they lived, that things didn't look too good. They were not a pretty picture. They were not the picture they were meant to be of a people faithfully following God. Sometimes thoughts can cross our mind. They can come from time to time. Is God really there? Does God really care about us? Does God really care about me? It doesn't matter if I pray or not. If we're really sensitive about the apparent absurdity of believing in an invisible God, the arrow of ridicule will easily find a chink in our armour. Sambalat then went on to ask his fourth and final question. Fourth question was, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Sambalat was implying that uh, the stones were useless at now at Jerusalem because the stones had been burned by fire. They were no longer any good for building. And yet the truth of the matter was that the stones were still absolutely fine. But then again, there's nothing that's going to get in the way of your distractor throwing in a few porkies just to discourage you. Often in life, when people set out to criticise what you're doing, you'll be fixed with a mixture of truth mingled with lies, with innuendo, uh, with malicious gossip. And malice arises from fear, and fear is often a common response to someone else's success. So those were four questions from St. Ballot, uh, the distractor or objector. They, they were levelled at Nehemiah and his people. But Nehemiah, we see clearly in verses 4 and 5, was a man who relied on God. Now, he was human, like you and I. And so Nehemiah was rattled and he was annoyed at what was being said about him and his workforce. And, and so he prayed to God about the situation. But ultimately, the way that Nehemiah channeled his anger and that of his people is given to us in verse 6. It says that they built the wall for the people had a mind to work. The language of St. Ballot, rather than distract them, rather than hold them back, it actually spurred them on to work all the harder. It had the opposite effect from what St. Ballot had intended. When that approach didn't work, when St. Ballot felt that he wasn't getting through to these uh, people. He then moved on uh, to, to his next phase. He went on to using fear, entrapment, and political manoeuvring. And uh, If you study up the verses, you'll see that in verses 7 to 12. There were reports there of an army, uh, of a military alliance that Zimbabwe had managed uh, to put together. He'd managed to persuade others to join him 
in making an attack on Jerusalem and to cause maximum confusion. Again, the response by Nehemiah, as we've come to expect, is to pray to God about what is happening. In addition to this, he prayed, yes, but he also put people on a route of guard duty. Nehemiah made sure that people had the swords, had the spears, had the bows to defend themselves and the city, even while they were. And Nehemiah, he was good with his people and we're starting to get that sense coming through. Uh, we remember he had a clear vision and he explained that to the people. We see here that, that he cares for the people. He wants them to be defended. Uh, and so he tells them in verse 14, do not be afraid. Uh, and he backs that, that call, that encouragement, that language up uh, and says, remember the Lord God, the great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your families, your wives and your houses. So on one hand, he was saying, remember your God and that should encourage you to have strength and courage. On the other side, he was saying, look, think about the people you can see. Think about your sons, your brothers, your daughters, your wives and your houses. Do it for them. Work at it and stick together. At the time of the uh, American War of Independence, there, there was a man called Admiral Mahan of the American Navy. And during the War of Independence, he taught his officers uh, as he trained them. He, he taught them a particular uh, skill uh, and a particular technique. He said, gentlemen, whenever you set out to accomplish anything, make up your mind at the outset about your ultimate objective. So once you've decided on your objective, take care never to lose sight of it. Nehemiah's goal was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you have to think about what your goal is for your business. You have to think about what your goal is for now and for the future. Because that then impacts your policy. Nehemiah had set the goal to rebuild the walls and then his policy regarding the possible military attack was shaped by that goal. So his posture towards the possible attack was to be defensive and yet toward the work he was aggressive. He didn't want to stop the work because he wanted the work to go on. So he took his chances by defending against the army if they came to attack and all the time the work was going on. Nehemiah had this straightened out in his own mind. When you're opposed by someone or something, remember those words of Admiral Mahan and the example of Nehemiah. You have a work to do. You have a plan. You have a project. Don't let others distract you from it. You work your policy around your ultimate goal and ensure that you stay focused on what it is you want to achieve. In business, as in life, it's only natural to expect 
that there will be distractors and objectors to what you're trying to do. The approach of Nehemiah was that we shouldn't give distractors or objectors the time of day. Nehemiah, he trusted in God to protect his name and to protect his reputation. He was one of those people who, when he set his mind on a job or a project, he didn't look backward. To summarize, we observe that Nehemiah relied on God at all times. And as shown in verses 4 and 5, Nehemiah was also, he was also mature enough to respect rather than dismiss the opposition. Uh, and you see that described in verse 9 where Nehemiah both prayed to God and set up a guard recognising the risks in front of him. Verse 14, Nehemiah reassured and encouraged the people. Again, he was drawing alongside the people he was depending on. He was drawing alongside the people that were working for him. He was drawing alongside the people he was leading. And Nehemiah refused to quit. Nehemiah was a man who continuously encouraged the people and refreshed and renewed their strength. This part of Nehemiah's leadership demonstrates that persistence is the ultimate gauge of our leadership. The secret for a good leader is to outlast their critics. And so, in closing, we see from looking at this account of Nehemiah that momentum is a leader's best friend. And I don't know if you've thought much about momentum before, but certainly uh, when a leader lacks momentum, they appear worse than they really are. And when they've got this thing called momentum on their side, they can appear better than they really are. Now, when I've most encountered a discussion on this, it's when watching a rugby match. Uh, and during a rugby match, I have often heard the commentators at some point start to discuss momentum. They will say something along the lines, the momentum has changed. A mistake, an injury or a change in the weather has resulted in the transfer of momentum. When the team has momentum, very little seems to go wrong. When the team has lost momentum, it looks as if the simplest routine can't be done. Momentum in a rugby match wins games. And it's the same for you. When you have momentum with you and your business, you're in a very strong position to achieve your goal, what you've set out. You're in a strong position to achieve something great. And so we could ask, uh, before we leave Nehemiah today, how did Nehemiah maintain his momentum? Well, Nehemiah's momentum, it started all the way back at the beginning of the book. It started at the beginning of our studies with his vision. And as we saw last week, he maintained momentum by praying for the work and the workers. The workers, the employees, are important people to have on board to maintain momentum. I was involved in launching a few new products in my sales career. And looking back, I can tell you that in that environment, launching a new product, momentum was key. With a product launch, the whole aim is to achieve a high peak as quickly as possible. And then the product will settle down 
into a plateau over a period of time. And then with the passage of time, whether that be uh, months or years, the, the plateau then declines and the product dies off. The key was momentum at the start. Momentum a year later was of little benefit. And so Nehemiah maintained momentum with a plan to address the problems. And it came as a price, as we see, he pushed his workers hard to get the best out of them. And he reminded the workers of God's help. Nehemiah had a plan, he had a strategy, not just to get the job done, but for victory. And all of you, in some shape or form, will be looking for momentum. You'll be looking for an upturn in business in the weeks and in the months that lie ahead. Nehemiah would be saying that you need a plan, that you need a strategy, that you need momentum. And of course, Nehemiah would be saying that you need to put the Bible back into business. We'll finish there this week and trust that that gives you something to think about until we meet again next week. Let's come and pray. Father God, we come and we thank you for our town. We thank you for our business community. Lord, we thank you for the whole mix and spread of different styles and types of businesses and the services that they produce. Lord God, we pray that you would bless all of our business people as they seek to employ their skills in dipping in to the sea of opportunity. Lord, as they seek to build businesses that are profitable, that bring work and employment. And so we pray, Lord God, in these difficult times that you give them vision and direction Lord, that they may be able to cast their nets far and wide. Lord, that they may be able to obtain orders locally and further afield and even beyond our shores. And Lord, we pray for the prosperity of our businesses and for the blessing and encouragement that that brings to all of us. We pray, Lord, for our workers, that they may be encouraged, that they may be strengthened, even though the work may be hard. Lord, that they may enjoy what they have been called to do. So, Father, we come this day, we thank you for your presence and time with us, and we commit ourselves, our families, and our businesses into your care and into your keeping until we meet again. In Jesus' name, Amen.